Mino Lion Media and Sunseeker TV, in association with Carl Anthony Payne Entertainment, present Black Arm of the Law. Welcome, Black, ladies and gentlemen. Black again, Black like I never left. Black is always Black AF. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Black Arm of the Law. I am your host, the one and only Carl Anthony Payne II. Today's guest comes to us by way of Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He is the president of Noble, which is the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement. His name is none other than Captain Frederick L. Thomas. Captain Thomas served in law enforcement. He served in the U.S. military combat veteran who retired after 26 years of service with the Louisiana Army National Guard. In serving his country in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, Captain Thomas earned the Combat Action Badge. On August 4th, 2021, Captain Thomas was sworn in as the 44th president of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, i.e., Noble, which is an organization of professional CEOs and officers still in the field of law enforcement. Please welcome to today's show, Captain Frederick Thomas. So tell me, uh, you said you were born and raised in Baton Rouge. Tell me a little bit what it was like growing up in the South, as you will, when you were growing up. My personality, I didn't get caught up in the South politics. You understand? Know because you know the optics on the politics are bad right now. But I never played them games, Carl. I never played them games. I was always front and direct. But just give me the correct answer, and I can handle it. But you tell me no, I want to know why no. But once you explain it to me, we can sit down and have a conversation. And that's just how I survived all the years. May 20th, I'll be 57 years old, so... I survived a long time out here. Okay, so you're right there on the cusp with me. I'm May 24th. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we made babies. See? Oh yeah, May 20th, baby. So I'm glad to be. I'm hopefully I'm here, but nah, man. you go. We go. We gonna be there together. Don't even worry oh, yeah. about it. Oh yeah, but but my background. I'm saying my childhood. It wasn't a bad childhood. You know, I didn't get a lot of things I wanted, but my mom made me appreciate the things that I did receive. You know, mm-hmm. like everybody like the kids now getting all the extraordinary Christmas. I want PlayStation fives and motorcycle cars. I tell people, I remember my grandmother used to give us a, a sock. I ain't talking about no Christmas stocking sock. I'm talking about a sock. Fill it with fruit, uh, walnuts, pecans, things like that. And we really appreciate that. You know, I really appreciate it. I think these kids nowadays, man, they don't understand what it's like to to not have or to have to work for something. You know, we, we're definitely living in the most entitled generation I've ever oh, been in my, you know what I mean? Like this is never seen a, a more entitled generation. And I don't mean that because they are, <laughs> you know? I tell my son, I tell my son, I say, man, you grew up in Central Annie with your own television in your room. I say, man, you don't know what it is having a box fan in a room, staying there through the summers, especially the summers here in Louisiana. <laughs> I said, man, I didn't see a real air conditioner. I like in the twelfth grade, call twelfth. Right, right, and, and it I'm was only, it. and it was, and it was only in one person's room. One room. It was, it was only in Big Mama's room, and you used to have to go in there and pretend to ask questions just to feel the air. Like you, you want something from the store? You good? You don't need nothing. 
we used to get a pill and just lay on the floor in the hall just to get some air, you know. So Ooh. I appreciate I appreciate my child. It made me a better person today. It did. It really did. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. So you said you're the only boy, the oldest of four siblings, four other siblings, all, yes. all girls. Your mama was a single parent, raised in a single parent home. Right. Now, now that must have been interesting. You being the only guy around these all these women and the oldest because your father wasn't around. Did you feel a sense of responsibility or duty to be the man of the house or to take care of everybody? Yes, I, I did. I felt I had that kind of pressure. I already had to protect home because my neighborhood is one of the neighborhoods. If you get caught up in a system, it could have been either way for me. I could end up being in prison. I could have been dead. But I still value the thing. My mom, by taking me to church, uh, we used to have vacation Bible school. That was a real vacation for us back then. Right, right. School. It was, I remember that. It wasn't no Disney World things like that, you know. At school, I really appreciated school. I really did. I ain't never want to miss a day of school. So I had to lead by example to motivate my sister. And my sisters are very talented. They're very, real professional women. They're real smart. And they all, we used to push each other. School, I tell people all the time, we used to have school on our own. Sit down at the table. We quizzed each other. That's how we grew up, you know, teaching each other. And that type of things, I'll be trying to bring back to the community that I serve now. Because we're not doing the things we're supposed to be doing. And right. I remember the days writing, I tell people, I was writing, I was writing and writing before I actually started kindergarten. And a lot of kids get all the way to third or fourth grade, still ain't never touch a pen, still haven't figured it out yet. So yeah. I appreciate them basic things growing up. Call it a simple thing. Like I can tell people back when I was growing up, McDonald's was a privilege. <laughs> you weren't going to McDonald's every day like these kids now. Yeah. Now, McDonald's was a privilege, man. We yeah, it was an event. Then we go get a Big Mac. A Big Mac, son, get out of my room. Right. I appreciate them little things, man. I do. I really do. Yeah, that was, that was a whole event. Just going, you know, going to something like that was like a special occasion. Oh, man, you put on your Sunday best, Carl. <laughs> that was a that was a actually field trip for us growing up, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So let me ask you this, then. Was there an event or an indi- individual event or even a person or was there an incident or something that happened in your past or in your childhood or you know somewhere along your journey was there something specific that made you or moved you towards law enforcement i tell you i get a particular incident i was probably about seven or eight grade we had a big incident in the neighborhood with the police officers so back then there weren't many black police officers patrolling our community so we had one of the homeboys got stopped by the police police put him in the back of the car doing his paperwork so the guy actually pulled the cage off from behind the police car took off in a police car man just getting it you know that the neighborhood that was a big thing like man what's going on everybody yeah get away get away you know but i know we ain't we ain't have a face in the community for us black law enforcement officers mm-hmm. and at that point at an early age i knew i was gonna be a service person even a police officer well when i graduated from high school i went to the national guard so i ended up doing 26 years military so all we had that serving heart i know we're gonna be in public service serving my communities all we giving back i knew then i was gonna be a police officer when i graduated high school went to the military i attended Grammar state university and major criminal justice just to get some more tools in my belt to be a better public servant once I do decide to come in law enforcement. That's how this started, Carl. So you, you basically saw a void in the neighborhood that needed to be filled. It had to be filled. And we didn't have a lot of black officers at that time. I think we might have had about 10 at the most that somebody actually recognized that, hey, man, that's a police officer. But they never had these positions 
that we allow to have now. What do you think? Why do you think that is? What What do you think? Uh, uh, you know, made the change. The change came from because black and brown communities only one where the police were actually needed at back during that time. So they felt they had to make a difference. So let's say we got to go out here. And we got to recruit some African Americans to actually to come out here and patrol some of their neighborhoods. And that's how it started. I know that's how it started. If that's the case, we'd have never been here. We are still have like four or five officers there working for the departments here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I just thinking about that, I don't know if you saw this special about Attica Prison. You saw that special about Attica Prison, the prison riots? No, no. Oh, man, it's a great show. You need to watch that. I mean, it's a good show. It's on Showtime. And uh, that they had that prison full of New Yorkers in upstate New York. They had one black correction officer. All of them was white Americans. You know what I'm saying? That's hard. So people start seeing, hey, we got to make a difference, make a change to make have everybody input. I'm saying because America, just, not just for one race, it's for every race that's here. I tell people that all the time. You get mad about it sometimes, but you got to keep moving. You got to still be fighting to move forward. That's what I do. That's why I come in at. So let me ask you this. So coming up and in, in, in through your, you know, your rise through the ranks and your journey uh, in law enforcement, as well as the National Guard, what were some of the experiences of racism or the color barrier, I should say, that you've had to deal with? And, and, and how did you deal with them? Carl, I can honestly say it was there. It was present. But I didn't really have that many kind of problems because, like I told you, I'm a person. I'm going straight to the point. So if there's a white supervisor, I felt I had a problem. I'm going to him. Like I had one guy one time. I had a supervisor before brought me in and say, "Hey, the boss think you think I'm racist." I said, "Man, no. I that'd have been easy to handle. Use a racist." I said, "You're not fair. You got to treat people fair." No matter what the race is, we got to treat people fair. And you got to hold people accountable. So I tell people all the time, you let somebody disrespect you, call and you don't address it in, you're going to have a problem in your whole career. You got to address the problem up ahead. Don't wait till it get bad. Then you want to start calling the media. You want to have a news camera in your face. Explain what happened. Address the problem then. Then let's get some help because you can end it right there. People don't believe that. You can end it right there. When that incident happened, if you don't say nothing then, it will continue. So I've always been a person like that. Through the sheriff's office, through the military, any organization I've been a part of, I always address the problem up front and I cover it then. So you, so I mean, I, I mean, I just find that you know a little uh, hard to believe that you never encountered anything. I'm saying, I'm saying, if it was it there, I'm pretty sure it was there. Guys coming to me and I and, and call, I give them the same speech. Mm-hmm. Is it there? Yes, it's there. Right. We gotta start speaking up as we need to speak up. A lot of right. people don't speak up to it's too late. Don't mm. don't blow the whistle six months or a year down the line. Right, as soon as it happens. Why do you think they wait? Is it because they're scared or? A lot of people I don't know their financial situation. I'm not doing anything for no money, Carl. Uh, I'm saying I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it for no money. They could have fired me 20 years ago. I'd have been all right because I know my personality. I'd have rebounded. So we got to stop being scared and start addressing the problem when it first comes to us. Because you, like I told you earlier, if they wait, it just snowballs. And that's why I guess I never really had no problem growing up. You know, do it occur? Yes, it occur. Mm-hmm. So guys always come up to me. You know, I give them advice. I'm telling them what they need to do. If I got to go sit in with them, they'll address a supervisor or something. I so tell Tell me a, give me a story, obviously, you know, without using any names. And since this wasn't your particular incident, but give me an incident that happened with maybe one of the, your, your fellow officers and they came to you for advice. How was that handled? I had guys come up to me on different scenes that they hear the N-word used. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I ain't getting mad at the person who used the N-word. Call, I got mad at the officer because you should have intervened then. So he's doing that now. He's going to do it again. Since you ain't saying nothing that time. 
That's why the problem keep continuing. So me being myself, I'm going to that person. So I heard you got a vocabulary problem using that N-word. Mm -hmm. We can fix that. We're going to fix that today. So then we write it up, run it up the chain or whatever, you know, then you address it. Then this may real kick in. So so they'll come to me and tell me things like that. I always try to motivate people because I tell people you are individual. You're a man. That's the first thing on you're a man. Be right. strong. And just do what you have to do. Do what you have to do. But is it out there? Cause you from, like you say, South Carolina. Man, the South hasn't changed. Not one I, bit. I tell people all the time, Jim Crow not dead. But Jim Crow know to pass my door up. He know that. <laughs> right. You know, so we got to learn. We, we still can survive in this. I'm saying because it's for everybody here. Like we had a problem now with the uh, voter right that's coming on and the redistricting that's going on in Louisiana. I think every state since the census came out, trying to get the line, get the mask drawn up. But I tell I tell my guy, don't let that discourage you if they try to pass all these voting bills and voting rights. We still have the right to go vote. This time we're going to have 200,000 people vote. Right. So don't let that discourage you because we need your vote call at the end of the day. I think what you said was uh, very instrumental um, in terms of the fact that we have to continue to motivate people to show up even twice as much um, because I feel like if not, then the then they're, they're, they will win in terms of what they were trying to do, number one. Number two, do you think with these voter restrictions that this could cause more insurrections in, in, in the cities, you know, like the January 6th insurrection? Call to be honest, you can't never know what can happen with the insurrection because it's something. Every day it's a pitch out there to make people want to do crazy things. Right. When you think as a race, I think we're going to do the right thing because we got to vote some of these people out. And that's where it starts at. I think we got enough people around the nation that can make some big changes. If we get everybody, everybody got to get involved. Everybody got to do their part. Noble got to do their part. Social media got to do their part. Our leaders that's elected, they got to do their part. We got to get the message out. A lot of people don't want to get the message out, but that's how it starts. So your friend tell my friend, my friend tell your friend, we got to talk. We don't do a lot of communication. We don't communicate a lot. Well, I mean, here's the thing. We have we have no excuses now. We have way no too many way too many ways to communicate. You know, we have an abundance of ways, whether it's, you know, email, internet, social media, like we have all kinds of ways and at, at our disposal to be able to communicate right now. But you're absolutely right. And I agree with you in terms of what needs to be done. You spoke on something earlier. We talked about this, the division of race in this country, right? The, or should I say the division in this country by race, which has not changed in a lot of different areas in the South and just in general, like everyone was talking about Trump as if he started some sort of race war or he lit the fire and spawned this, that, and the other. This is something that has been here all along. This is not something that just started. But do you think he fanned the flames? And if so, do you think that that is what led to a lot of more in-your-face division in this country or crimes like the one that happened with Ahmaud Arbery or even the crimes on Asians? You know, like, what do you think is behind this is what I'm saying. What do you think is, is fanning these flames? I'm going to give you a whole school thing for that. Like my mom would say, sin, Carl. <laughs> you know, that's what my mom would tell me. But if it's, it's a particular person started all this, no, it's been started. Yeah. They ain't just started yesterday. They ain't started January 6th. They ain't started. Man, it's been, stuff been going on. Mm -hmm. I think we're in a better position now to fix the relationship that we have across America. I don't blame one person for this. People have been building stuff up and the pandemic ain't making no better. You got people sitting at home. People want to get out, press themselves. 
you know, just hang with their friends. The pandemic just stopped a lot of progress because you had a lot of people at home thinking about a lot of things, what they can be doing now, you know? So, hey, man, I can do this. I'm not working nowhere, so let me go do this. People just angry at themselves. I tell people all the time, look in the mirror. You're just mad at yourself. So let's do something positive together. So let's start these initiatives. Let's start these podcasts. Let's talk. Like you mm-hmm. said earlier, we could talk all across the nation. We had a couple more people to this podcast going on now. But it all goes back, like I said earlier, it goes back to communication, a basic principle, communication. People get mad about things. Then they wake up and think about it. Man, why I'm so mad? Why I'm so angry? Well, because people are being, people are, you know, I mean, you you yourself, you said you've been always been this way, you know, which is, I, I always been you know, your whole, you know, which, which is rare because, you know, a lot of people aren't always optimistic. You may not be one of the people people who persons who are you know have been affected by this but people are angry because they've had enough they're fed up and that's why i try to go out in the community and be seen now call because i'm trying to when i talk to parents let's say i get a juvenile delinquent i go meet that parent i want to say i just start talking like man where you finish school at sir i ain't never finished high school so i make it up on my own contact the local school board see what kind of nice school programs we can send her to to get her education Mm-hmm. Because once we build that up in her, she's going to be a positive influence on her child. And I tell people all the time, like these big businesses, they all, oh, we, we care so much about the community. Sir, I never saw you in my community in my life. You got out, but you always selling your product in our community. Start giving back to the community. Build us some stores. Build us a new school. Give us a new building. Some of these mm-hmm. kids never saw a new school and grew up in the community for years. Give us some things we need to motivate kids to want to do better. And to call, we're going to do better. We're going to do better. Like I said, the stuff that's going on in the world now, we just got to get it's just going to get worse if we don't start taking a stand now. So that's why I like to meet with people throughout the nation, just get their ideas on certain things. The race thing, it's out there, Carl. I'm not going to say it like It's out there. Did I personally experience it? No, I haven't. Because like I told you, I get out in front of it then. I'm not going to play no reindeer games trying to figure out who can run to the wall the quickest and stuff. I don't do that. But we got to get more direct, talk more, and just start bringing people in. I was just thinking, you know, piggybacking on what you said then. So then what does that look like? You know, okay, because we can talk all day, but what does real police reform look like? Police reform are getting the right police in place. Right now, the police get a negative view because you got so much things going on in the news. It's something different every day. But I always try to recruit. We need to recruit because we need good police officers. And I tell people a lot of things like, we don't recruit the colleges here at my department like we should be. If you got a kid majoring in criminal justice, let's go out and reach that kid and see can we bring him into the community because not only do he get the police training from the academy, he got four years of training from a higher education place. They're the type of officers we're looking for. I'm saying, I take a high school student. But we need to bring the mentoring piece into it. We've got a lot of guys who want, don't want to be mentored. All they want to do is just come to work, patrol, and go home. They don't like to do the extra stuff. Like being a part of this organization, Noble. I got guys working, man. Man, I don't want to be no member of Noble. What can Noble do for me? And my thing go back, what can you do bring to Noble? Because a lot of guys don't want, they want to seek help. See, this organization here, we can reach out across the nation. We can bring these uh, subject matter experts and have these discussions. Like in March, we're going to have our winter CEO symposium here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, trying to bring all the federal people here, trying to bring state people here, local, all over the United States. Well, we having these talks and some people like they say the kids say i'm going back to what the kids are saying in the streets you get in your feelings some people get in their feelings call like man you can't talk to me like that. i'm a chief i'm a i'm second in command man who cares what can you do to save this community and help these kids that's why i got in this organization no because i want to better myself so i say the better training i get the more i can reach out and try to sell noble 
and just policing to people abroad. Man, why are you a police? Because I want to make sure you make it home safe. That's why I got, that's why I really love this law enforcement. And I've been doing it 32 years now. And I tell Jessica every day, Jessica, I think I'm going to quit. I'm going to go home today. But Carl, if I quit until I find that person I've been mentoring all this time, make sure he's ready to take my place when I leave. That's when I'm, that's when I'm actually leaving this organization. It's a mentoring piece of it. It's mentoring. And do you think by doing this, that the reputation of the uh, police can be salvaged? I mean, through the community? If we get the right people in place, Carl, it can. And some police don't need to be police. I can say that. Some police don't need to be police. Some is, is an understatement. I'm going to say some. I think we need to go on ahead and just do a clean slate all over again. Just clean house. And I mean, I mean, there should be a recertification. I mean, do you guys have that? Do you have that recertification situation? Because the vetting process, it seems as if it starts there. Like you said, the vetting process and how it starts, because at the end of the day, I think we got to create a different vetting process and a better vetting process in an outside office, if you will, that does this. I mean, because you can't say, I mean, for me, if these are the supposed to be the people of the people by the people serving the community, I don't want certain people there serving yeah. me because like you said they don't need to be there i know for a fact if if, if i was on the board who i judge i'd be like no he can't become an officer no she can't become an officer i mean you know uh, we, first of all let's let's get into it okay on february 2nd in minneapolis police entered you know and carried out a pre-dawn no knock and within seconds of entry they shot and killed a 22 year old young black man named amir Locke. Mir wasn't even the suspect that they were there for. He didn't even live there, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. First of all, how do we explain this? You know what I'm saying? How do we how do we justify this? So I I, I want to know what your thoughts are on this particular incident, as well as the use of a no knock warrant. Each warrant got its own specification call. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Some are high risk warrants, and sometimes a no knock might not be used. I don't know the particular situation in this case in Minnesota. Well, I saw the news, I'm like, man, what actually happened? But it started with the judge. The officer sit down with the judge, explain it to it. I'm saying the police officer just ain't doing no knock on their own. You know what I'm saying? Proper protocol got to be done. Paper right got to be filled out. The warrant need to be filled out. You know? Right. But but should should no knock should no knocks even exist? Carl, I'm gonna say this again. I don't know the situation of that, but the case gonna dictate what type of warrant will be you, what type of suspect. Let's look at it like when 9 11 when they when terrorism was out. It depends on the situation. Uh, and I hear you, but it feels like they keep dropping the ball in these situations. That comes from supervisors because it, it wasn't no big rush. If we know the kids was there, it wasn't no big rush to go arrest that kid just then. So then so then there should be guidelines is, is the I'm point. Saying, there, I'm, right? I'm pretty sure there can be some guidelines depending on what constitute a no-knock and what constitute just entering at risk. You know, it, it depends on the situation. I mean, if o- Osama was there and we have perfect intel that Osama was there, then, okay, maybe no-knock. That's why I brought up the terrorist situation. I'm saying you saw that on television with us some. You know, hey, El Chapo's inside. He's right there. We have perfect intel that he's there. We're positive versus, oh, wrong apartment, wrong apartment, wrong person. Like, I don't, I don't even understand the point of it. Carl, it comes from training. We got to, the officers need to be trained, not just academy-wise. They need to be trained on their own. And that's why it's good to have this organization here, because we provide these type of trainings at our symposiums, at our annual training. Well, talk to us a little bit about NOBLE. Tell the people what NOBLE stands for and what this organization is about. This organization came out forefront, Carl, really in 1976 by 55 
African-Americans who gather in Washington, D.C. to discuss the thing that's going on in the inner city communities with their gangs, the shootings in African-American communities. So these guys came together to formulate, hey, what can we do to help the community? I'm just saying, so we engage recruiting African-American police officers. We go on to city council meetings, discussing with these, discussing type of officers you need to patrol the inner city community. Well, see, like today, it's coming back because of the shooting. We're working on our gun violence initiative right now. We're doing a crime violence uh, initiative that's coming soon. I got, uh, also I'll be doing a boost on the ground. I'm going to these particular cities. Minneapolis is gonna be one of the cities I go to. I like to sit down, meet with that chief, just discuss what are their policy and procedures on warrants. And each warrant, like I told you, is different. But uh, the mission of NOVA to ensure the equity and administration of justice, the provision of public service to all communities, and serve as the conscience of law enforcement by being committed to justice by action. So we handle that. We, we listen to the people from the uh, communities in Minnesota. Matter of fact, we got a board member from Minneapolis. So we sit down, we have these talks and discussions what we need to be done and what can we introduce certain legislation to create the police reform. We as part of the police reform, the uh, George Floyd Act, which then get through Congress. So now we have these talks again. So we actually try to meet with these people, meet with these representatives, get some people from the community and let them know what's actually going on in a certain area. Because we don't know about it until it hit the news. So it should never hit the news if we doing all, everybody doing the right thing. And the bill should have passed because the federal government would have been involved and they should have different guidelines to provide our officers the training and additional funding we need to make sure everybody's on one page. First, they got too many different policies. Every police department have, has a different policy. Right. Just in, my, just in my jurisdiction in Baton Rouge, we had nine different law enforcement officers, agent heads, right here in Baton Rouge. We need to start gathering. Everybody need to gather and sit down, discuss these things, what can make their community safe, what the things we need to do. We hear the community. We hear the community call. I'm not right. Gonna- I think, I mean, I, and I believe you. I believe you. I just wish it was the same all the way across the board, you know. Sitting down at the symposium, just talking, hanging out, taking pictures. That's not what we need to be doing. We need mm-hmm. to be discussing the thing that happened in Minnesota. We need to discuss right. the thing that happened in Louisville so we can make things better throughout the nation. And that's the only way we're going to get it together. Because we listening. Trust us. Nobody's listening. we at the table, and we're trying to make these things work. So how do you? So then how do you feel about a, a civilian review board? I don't have a problem with civilian review board because you're doing the right things. You ain't got nothing to hide. We got to be transparent. We got to hold officers accountable. That needs to happen. Keyword, hold them accountable. We got to hold people out. I hold myself accountable. Mm-hmm. I hold my guys accountable. Call this basic stuff. Just, just like this simple in my uniform. Make mm-hmm. sure I have the proper equipment on my uniform. I'm not going to decorate, add no extra patch here and a flag here. And, you know, <laughs> everybody need to be the same, Carl. Right. It's just right. one team. It's, I tell people all the time, law enforcement is one team. No matter what agency you work for, we are one team. We serve the community. I tell right. people all the time, law enforcement is customer service. The community is our customer. What three things does Noble need to succeed their mission? We need the support of the community. We need the community. We need officers to join the professional organization, not just Noble, any professional organization, to increase your uh, educational level. We need to talk to me. We need these podcasts. We need to talk. I'm saying because y'all can get our message out quicker than a local chapter Noble meeting. Right. Well, we need we need these faces. So I say we need to brand this organization, not just this organization, 
all organizations that's doing the right thing for law enforcement and building a better office. That's all it's about at the end of the day. Let's switch gears for one sec. Okay. Read in your uh, resume, because this is, this is really what I wanted to talk to you about. I found this interesting as well. I read that you received the uh, the combat action badge, uh, a medal yes, of honor. Like, what, is, what does it take to be presented with something like that? That's in the military. The combat action badge is basically you within the battle. So I get, a, I have a long talk. I'm mad to get on. You might help me with my VA claim. I was playing all that to you. It's changing gunfire, uh, getting hit by uh, improvised explosive devices, which are called IEDs in country. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of patrolling out there. I'm a, my MOS was to come at. I'm a combat engineer. Wow. We always did missions, especially my shift always at midnight. For the people listening, this was over in Iraq, yes. Yeah, that's Iraq, yes. It's a different world over there, trust me. It's a different but, world. But just talk to me for one second about what that experience was like, just for one second. Like, I, like for those who don't know, right, because I talk to my kids about this. I have four sons, by the way. Or just in general how real life, let's, let's just be clear. The movies are the movies, but real life is real life. And real life is real life, Cole. And when you are in those situations and in those moments, it's not TV, man. This is not a movie. This is not TV. And, you know, sometimes they make all these explosions and all this stuff on TV look all glorified or like, oh, that's so cool. So what I'm asking you is for one minute, just talk to me about you know, uh, an experience that you had over there or just what it was like to go through that and then to, to come back here and still have that that optimistic outlook that you have on everything and and still wanting to do good. But but just in general, I can't imagine being in the middle of battle, you know, your heart rate's pumping and, and you don't know if you're going to make it out of there. Like, tell me for a second, what was that like? How ministers can I tell you all? Uh... I'm in my third day in country. Mm-hmm. See, I'm a good listener too, Carl. You know what I'm saying? You know, like some people, don't touch that, it's hot. Right. Like that. <laughs> first, thing, first thing they just tell you, don't mess with no trash, no big piles. Just walk by it. Let it go. Mark it. We can call it in. Have a team come out and take care of it. Well, one guy decided to be a hero. This is the third day over there. This is right, right for Thanksgiving. I never we got in country in November 2004. Mm-hmm. One of my lieutenants. Hard-headed, not listening. We paying attention. You know us. First day, we didn't want to be out there. Right, right, right. <laughs> so he kicked the kicked some of the trash pile, and man, that went his legs straight across by three hundred yards. Lost his legs the third day in country. Wow, that's the third day. So that not saying I had four hundred more days to go. Lord, I think it's more harder for my mom. I try not to think about it, but it's kind of, I'm not going to tell you I wasn't scared. Yes, of course yeah. I was scared. Yeah. But I had to be, I had to be positive and be motivated. I had to motivate my platoon. Right. And my guys, I ain't know what they're called. They always looked at me. I'm like, man, you know, you know how we play the dozen, you know, talk crazy to each other, stuff like that. That's yeah. how we got through it. And I never forget when, when we returned back to country, one of my staff sergeants bought a little plaque and presented me his own plaque to thank me. Well, helping him get home, he say, "So I don't think I never made it home, but you wasn't there." Right. Call. I always had a joke. I always had some, you know, good to say. Like, man, I really want to say something. I know we're on the part. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I got you. <laughs> well, hey, man, that touched me more than anything. This was a grown man. This guy like about ten years my elder. Yeah. He went presenting me with his own plan. Yeah, yeah. Man, thanks for helping me get through that and making it home. That's big, man. I, I, never, I, never, I still have that plaque today. I tell people all the time, man, laughter is healing. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Laughter yeah. Is, is, is healing. And I'm a human person. I love the joke. I do the dozen, you know. I just just made it, made my way through it, man. It was rough. I ain't going to lie. It was rough. You know, we lost we lost a lot of guys over there. 
Well, so was it hard for you to like uh, let people in or get to know people because you don't want to get too attached? Because then next thing you know, they might not be there anymore. No, in my position, you have to let people in. So you got to let people know you have them and they feel comfortable talking to you. Right. So we discuss anything, you know, some guy might have some marital problems. Some guy might have some finance problem. So you got to talk because you that guy they looking up to to make them through this day. And I just tell God, hey, so y'all don't want to go out today. And I just say something like this. Hey, let's see who's going to go, me or you. Bam, I'll rank you. Let's go, man. You know, so I never put nobody in a position to something I want to do myself. And I'm the same way as a police officer. I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do that I haven't done. When I tell you go out there and talk, get out your car, walk and speak, go shake people's hands in the community, that's what I expect. Because the things I do. I just have a passion for this. It's nothing personal. I tell people all the time. Unless it's stuff taking me personal, man, I have a horrible, I have a horrible money here. And I want to last the 32 years I've been here. It says that uh, you recently served on the mayor's um, racial inclusion task force. Yes. There in Baton Rouge. Tell me, what, what was that experience like? It was okay. I'm just saying the team I had, you know, they selected. So we had black men, white men, black women, white women. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know who got them. A majority of the questions for our right. segment of it. So we're just trying to get a feel of like, you know, about the racial stuff that's going on in Baton Rouge. They know right. it's a problem. They know the city was divided. So the mayor, being creative as she is, decided, hey, let's just get these different people from all sections of the community. Let's sit down. Let's have a forum. And we did it just like we're doing here now. They broke us into teams. We had team meetings. Then we might transition over to another team, see what they feel like. Like some people even brought out, I think the news is racist because we have two universities here. You know, we have Southern University here, which is the HBCU here, one of the largest HBCUs that you have, LSU. One guy said, well, I think they give LSU too much time on the television. They'll never mention Southern. Southern have a football team. So it's good to break that barrier to notice certain things. Let's simple things leads to division. And this guy, he was more upset than like, hey, why Southern University not getting the same coverage? So we talked about it. They even brought the news director in, you know, had them to bring up why they do such and such, you know. So I'm saying, well, that's communication piece. And that was that talk. And that's a diverse group of people. It wasn't just all African-American, all whites. We had a mixture. We had Asians mixed in into it because Baton Rouge is section off sometimes. But we make it work. Well, hopefully, hopefully there's been some, you know, some progress there. You know, hopefully it's, it, it's getting a little better. It's getting better. It's getting a little better. And at the end of the day, I always feel like what that means is being represented in the room. That's yep. that's what that's that's really what that boils down to. Nine times out of ten, there's there's no representation in the room. We never was at the table call. Now we get an opportunity to be at the table. Yeah, where you know, and that's the that's the main thing. It's like you know, I mean, I guess there's. Which is why you see the Super Bowl halftime show what it was this year. You know, that was part of, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was part of that partnership that. Jay-Z had with the NFL Commission. Exactly. Shirley Chisholm, representative from the great state of New York. Uh-huh. She got a quote. If you don't have a seat at the table, bring your own chair. Amen. I tell people that all the time. So they don't have a seat for you at the table? Just bring your own chair. Just sit down. Listen and see what's going on. Then you're going to take some notes from them to say, hey. This is what I'm going to do in my community. This is what I'm going to do to make things great. So a lot of times we've been locked out the door, just like you just brought up with Jay-Z, having a rapport with uh, with the commissioner. That's mm-hmm. how things work. So Jay-Z brought his chair. So yeah. now they're listening. So what was it like serving on the, uh, the governor's COVID-19 task force? What was that about? My part of the task force was actually doing the test, setting up the test sites, putting out the messages, going around, encouraging people in the African-American community, because that's what they're focusing on. So I had distributing masks. We were setting up the sites for the COVID-19 test sites. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, my part. So we basically the marketing part of actually going out with a face. They did a lot of PSAs with a couple of on doing PSA, just trying to encourage people to get tested for COVID. They're way before the vaccine came out. Now we're gonna shift it on actually getting people to actually go get vaccinated. And then there's some time calling. Just what my precinct is, some guy just walked the street. I don't actually put them in the car, took them to the test site, get tested, get a vaccine, get their uh, COVID card. And man, they just they felt all proud by doing that, by me actually putting them in my car and taking them to a test site. So little things like that spreads the word. And that's how you start bringing trust back in the community with law enforcement. That's how you do that. Simple little things like that. Yep, got it. But you got to make sure you include the community, though. Oh, that's yeah. you got. Like I told you earlier, we customer service call. Without the community, we have no customer. A couple of last things before we go. We spoke about transparency and you were saying that you didn't have a problem with a civilian review board and whatnot as well. Do you think that a lot of you, your white counterpart officers in general, do you think that they feel the same way that you do with regards to training and transparency? Some law enforcement officers across the nation probably wouldn't call, but I can just speak on my experience with my department. Mm-hmm. My department would be willing to do things like that. And we're doing similar things like that now because we always get involved in different town hall meetings. We engage the community with our community policing division. We actually go sit up the community, listen to what they want to say, and just get that feedback from them. So we hope that all departments won't have no problem with that. I'm telling you, you're doing the right thing. You have no problem. You don't have no problem. You're doing the right thing. You're going to have no problem. You'll never be on the media. Then the media starts supporting us and start helping us recruit. The media can help us recruit the right person we're looking for. So let's sit down with the media one day, all the major networks, and see what they can do to help us recruit that officer that we're looking for, because we're losing that battle also. Don't you think, though, it, it takes the white officers' involvement to make this thing work, though, right? Yes. Yes. And call all us officers. We got Asian officers here. We got white officers. We black. We all got to come together. First thing, we got to get along because the community is saying the officers not getting along. We got to get along because we're not getting along. We're not doing nobody in the community, no service. Right. And that's where it starts at. So that right leader can lead these people to come to agreement. And it can be the lowest ranking officer at your department who have a message for the whole. Uh-huh. We got to start communicating better. Like guys, we talking about the they supervisors and they chiefs. I've been reading stuff all throughout the nation. You can't do that because they'll never get better. The transparent stuff is going to work together once people see we're getting along. Like the uh, little nursery rhyme you learned in the school, probably when I was in school. The more we get together, the better we'll be because your friend and my friend, your friend and mine, we got to start doing the old basic stuff, Carl. Right. Back to basics. We left it. We left that, Carl. The more we get together, 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 the more we get the better, the happier we'll be. Because your friend and my friend, my friend is your friend. It starts at the top, you know, and that's kind of why, but that's why I brought up, that's why I brought up, you know, the the people who we choose or so-called choose to keep being our elected officials. I mean, it starts there. And if they are, are spewing the narrative, which does not look like what you're saying, that's where it starts. That's why it's so important. They're going to motivate me to more than both. Because see, once the people, once them, uh, people we elected start saying that you're paying attention, they're going to get it together. They're going to have to go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the main thing. The, the votes are out here. Trust me, the new census is out. The votes are here. And people got to realize and start waking up. Hey, man, I might don't be here the next term. Go to the school board meeting. That's what I tell parents all the time. Have your PTA meeting about your school. You have a problem in your school? Have a PTA meeting. Bring it up to the principal and the staff of the school while your kid not on a certain level. Mm-hmm. And what I can do to help my kid. That's where it started, that call. How many members in Noble? Right now we have approximately uh, 
3,500 members. And once the law enforcement officer hear this message, we need more men. We are recruiting. I recruit every day, Carl. Well, I heard that we're going to be doing some things together, by the way. Okay. So I appreciate that. I'm glad to be a part of what's getting ready to happen next. Yes, sir. So. I appreciate you allowing me to be on here. And uh, I think that's just my... Uh, PR Jessica. Jessica be on me every day, so I'm glad you, I'm glad I took the time to do this. I really absolutely, man. Uh, before we go, a couple of questions I ask all my guests. Just just some fun stuff. If you could go back and arrest somebody from your childhood, <laughs> who would it be and why? I ain't gonna say no name, but he know what I'm talking about. <laughs> my neighbor three. He's the biggest bully in the neighborhood. Yeah. But something happened though. Uh-huh. I'll grow him. <laughs> there you go. So once I grew him, I had that problem no more. Right. When I should have had him arrested them years ago. He'd been the first person in jail. He know who I'm talking about. He know who he is. You know who you are out there. Four houses from my house, so I just leave that as another clue. <laughs> Next question. What was your favorite law enforcement show growing up? Ooh, let me see what they had on. I'm old, so you know I'm 57, so. You ain't going to say nothing that I won't know. Trust me. Barney Jones. Ooh. And, and Columbo. Barnaby Jones and Columbo. Hey, I got one other better detective than that. He was a corner. Quincy M.D. I love that show. Wow. That's what I had wow. going on. Wow. Now, that's a throwback. That's a throwback, though. Now, now, if I'm not mistaken, that's my man that was from uh, uh, Our Couple, right? Our Couple, yep. Yeah, see? I told you, you can't you ain't go put nothing past me, man. Yep. <laughs> wow, that was a good one. Okay. What advice would you give to any young black man or woman who's interested in going into law enforcement right now? I'm going to tell them, I'm just going to be honest. Law enforcement mm-hmm. right now, what you've been saying on new is not a pretty picture, but we can make it better. You can make that difference. You got to have that servant heart to be a law enforcement. I tell people all the time. I didn't get into the profession for the money because I've got in for the money. I had to quit three days later. You got to have that servant heart. It's all about service and law enforcement. And you feel you're making a difference in your community. And I tell you, I can't be honest about this. The money will get better the longer you stay here, get your training, get your education, and be about service to people. You got to be about service to people. If you don't have that serving heart, you can't do law enforcement. You got to want to do this. And like I said, I'll tell you what I was making 32 years ago, $450 every two weeks. Mm, 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 mm. But I made it work, though. Bread wasn't no $4 like it is now, but... right. I made it work for me, and I continued to stay with it. I, 32 years went by so fast. I, I remember my first call when I first came to the Uniform Patrol. I remember my first call. So once you get that servant heart, and you need any support from the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executive, reach out to Frederick Thomas. i give you all the mentoring you need. You need to find that perfect mentor also, because we left away from that. We need You got to be mentored throughout your career. I still take advice from different people all over the nation. So we need you, African-American males, African-American females. We need you. Your community needs you. The nation needs you. So let's make it work. We can make it better. And on that note, I will say here endeth the lesson. Thank you for joining us on the Black Arm of the Law, Frederick L. Thomas. Appreciate you. Black Arm of the Law is hosted by Carl Payne. Produced by Ken Johnson, Bart Phillips, and Carl Payne. Consulting producers, FBI Special Agent Retired Don Taylor and FBI Special Agent Retired George Gray. Edited by Rick Chill. Theme music by Jeff Red, courtesy of Soul Real Records. Executive producers, Ken Johnson and Bart Phillips. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Black Arm of the Law is a mean old lion media production. 